Welcome to episode three of the Brain Trust podcast. My name is Adam Vass from World Champ Game Co. And I am a tabletop game designer in Glendale, California. And I'm Willie Epps. I'm a game designer from Boston, Massachusetts, America. And this is, like you said, another episode of the Brain Trust. Adam, how are you doing this week? How many, how long has, have we been doing it? Feels like four years that we've been doing the Kickstarter. Yeah, so, somehow we went live two weeks ago and I'm 50 years old now. I'm, I might have said this last time, but I found gray hairs after <laughs> watching this. It was a lot. Um, I think I did say that last time. I'm, I'm, I'm self-conscious about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, The diary entries are looking better on my side. I was going to, so I was planning on tomorrow doing my weekly feelings digest. And it is more positive than last week where I basically said, I don't know if I want to keep designing games anymore. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it's definitely more, it, it feels better. Um, just this morning before we started recording, we hit 1500, which is like a weird milestone to me because Woo. since our goal is 4,500, it was like a nice increment. Yeah. The, the one third. Uh, yeah, we're one third. So with, and, and since we have three weeks left, I do feel better about that. Um, and like we've talked about in private too, like the money aspect, the funding aspect makes me think about it in a way that I don't really appreciate instead of just being like, we're making this cool thing and the podcast and the discord and all of it is like really neat and stuff I've never done before. And I can't enjoy it for what it is when I have this looming four five zero zero neon sign in the back of my room, uh, that's just waiting to get lit up. and. and I, I still now I you know we go back and forth a couple times a day, but right now yeah. it feels like we could get there and that's cool, exciting. I know, yeah, we've got a we've got a while and we can do it. We have such a cool guest on the show today. We have Takuma Akata, who is a game designer, musician, slash musician. <laughs> Wait, what order? What order do you like? <laughs> Either is fine. Either is fine. I feel the same way. Um, <laughs> uh, you know them from their work through No Road Home, which you can find on Itch and SoundCloud, that extreme one-two punch. Um, games like Etude of the Evening, We Make Them Look Like Us, uh, the July Jumbled Up Jam, which randomized components and had you do anything but typical tabletop um, stuff like dice, games like uh, Alone Among the Stars, and Chess Two Kingdoms. Welcome! Hi, thanks for having me. So, my question is, how are you feeding off of Adam and I's energy right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's good, I'm into it, yeah. I'd like to thank the podcast, and when we were on the Discord voice chat the other day, there's an element of... Um, like our anxiety as entertainment that lets you kind of escape from it. Like it's not even my anxiety anymore. It's this character I'm yeah. doing. And <laughs> yeah. uh, in that way, it becomes almost like fun. And especially uh, when you get to just like blow it out of proportion and be totally absurd about it. That makes me then when I go back to reality, uh, not be as anxious <laughs> or uh, fatalistic about the, the project. 
Yeah, it's like sort of a meta, almost fiction podcast to accompany the game, but like it's also real. But yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> when we were building it, we were talking about doing it like a reality show, which is exactly that, where yep. it's inspired by reality, but it's almost like an alternate universe. And uh, especially with the way that we edit, <laughs> I think um, <laughs> if there's anything to too real or too grim that just would get cut and we can be fun this is a good energy a good vibe show yeah yeah i'm i'm the editor and i make those grim moments louder than the normal moments, <laughs> so uh yeah we were hyping up an eventual kickstarter meltdown that i was gonna have like that was gonna be you know week five i lose it online <laughs> i go private on twitter <laughs> so i'm excited to see exactly what form that's going to take but in the meanwhile um we have the results of our first or our second uh backer vote which is super exciting um this week uh, or last week backers voted on what the focus of the game is of course um the week before last we did pitches where we're now designing a game called uh title title bar um, it's beautifully typeset. <laughs> we don't know what it is, but the subtitle is A Guide to Summoning Phantoms in the Revolution. So it is a demon-summoning, anti-monarch uh, revolution game. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, it designs itself. We're done. <laughs> we let you choose. We, we had two questions being asked at the same time, and you only got one vote. So not only were you voting for your preference, but you were voting for which question was more important to you to be answered. So the first question was the length of gameplay. So the first option was a one-shot focused game. And the second option was a multiple session focused game. Then we also let you choose what the scope of your character classes or character uh, player characters would be, which would be option three, you're the people who hold the lanterns and cast things. Uh, option four is you're the creatures that are cast from the lanterns, the phantoms and devils and all that. And option five, which was a combination of lantern holders and creatures. So we also had like a nice spread. Again, the votes really matter because the spreads are very tight. And I noticed this week we had maybe like 30% more active voting, which could have been we got new backers or it could have been because the Google poll system was a lot easier than what we were doing before. Um, but regardless, we have a really nice data set. And the winning combination is that we are making a one-shot focused game about the lantern casters, the lantern holders. Those who, for whom the lantern holds. <laughs> uh, it was great to see so many people come out. Um, thank you, Brain Trust. You are great. I was excited for basically any combination and had like running ideas for games inside of any one of those. So it was not only a design question that we needed answered, it provided like space for me to think through different combinations of requirements. Like inside of those constraints, I could be really creative, which was I would like to incorporate that into my design process, you know, going forward, which is really cool. That's that's smart, too, because I didn't. I like don't like to get too far ahead with something that might change at all. Like if my foundation my foundation is shaky, then I'm not going to start building up. And which has been very limiting for me thus far in terms of like we haven't 
I had a notebook open when we did our design session the other day, and I wrote zero things down. I just walked away with a blank piece of paper because I'm like afraid of committing to something and then having a crucial element of the game change, and then it'd be, oh, I really love this thing, and I can't make it work in this new iteration. Uh, mm. So I sort of err on the side of caution, which is not like me typically, but I think, one, doing it in a collaborative way in real time, with you and two doing it in public makes me very cognizant of those uh potential hang-ups so i'm like i just don't want to mess with them i feel that actually really strongly because that's kind of um when i'm gming stuff that's kind of how it goes for me like i try not to plan you know as much as possible because then i get hung up on stuff that i think is cool and want to include but maybe that's not actually the case of the table so it's like try to try to have a couple details and then we'll figure it out you know in play as much a, like as collaboratively as possible that's a good point especially how we keep treating our kickstarter like a game and i didn't consider it before that we are sort of the gms of the campaign and everyone else is <laughs> making decisions but you can never really account for what the players are going to want to do so yeah. we're really uh flying by the seat of our pants in a fun way in the same way that you would as a GM in a in a story game. Um yeah, I'm I'm trying to thread the line between not like um not being precious about my design but also not having any darlings to kill. Like if the part of the collaborative process is having compromise, having something to like coming with strong ideas and being unafraid of other people's strong choices are that's trying to what I'm trying to bring. So I basically just fill up my head and my phone notes with, like, I've got eight fucking games about this concept <laughs> right now. So it's like, which one do I do? I've talked about this before, I think, but I tend to get hit by, like, memories a lot um, or, like, a very specific feeling. And I'm like, oh, I could I could make this feeling sort of a game, maybe. Um, for Alone Among the Stars, I was just, like, playing No Man's Sky, like, super late at night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and flying around. And I was like, this is pretty cool. This is, oh, this could be a tabletop game. That could That could work out um for you know alone in the ancient city it was um from like some traveling i've done um conches and alone on the rocky beach it's like uh these beach cleanup days that uh i used to help out with that were like a community thing um we'd go out at like seven in the morning with like big trash bags and just pick pick stuff up off the beaches um and there was just some really weird stuff out there <laughs> um and you know all those kinds of things um they're usually pretty associated with like place i like capturing the feeling of a place and the look of it um sort of in an abstract way but i i, I try to do that a lot i feel like 
other times um sometimes it is just like oh i really want to include this this one thing um for we made them look like us it was just like gender euphoria like what things give you gender euphoria how do you like encourage people to like go after those things and do what feels right for you um and like that's one of the games that people have said like oh this really helped me uh with my gender stuff and like it's it's a really good feeling um yeah it's it's they they the ideas kind of come down uh come come at me from like all sorts of places one of them was like a waypoint podcast i was listening to about battle tech and then like i jot them down into my notes and then when i like yeah i like try to get stuff into my like notes app first as like a sketch right um yeah Big, big notes app fans over here, both of us. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then I, I tend to let it sit for a little bit um, because it, like, frustrates me when I can't get work done at, like, a good pace. Mm. Um, and then I'll sit down once I have, like, I think I have enough and just, like, go at it in a Google Docs. <laughs> and that's kind of how the process goes. Longer stuff, it's it's a little different, but... Do you find right. that it works similarly or enough dissimilarly uh, when you make music? I think there are definitely similarities. I have, like, recently, like, I'll have, like, a line or something or, like, just, like, a chorus or whatever. Um, and I'll sing that in my, into my voice memos, you know, the, the audio equivalent of my notes app. <laughs> um, and then, like, I'll just, like, store that for later. And then maybe I'll have another idea later that, like, fits with it. Um, and then I can combine those and then actually start to have a song. And then I'll sit down at the piano and start sketching stuff out with some chords. Um, and then once I've got, like, a thing down that I can play on the piano in, like, a whole take, once I have, like, a song actual, like, sketch, then I'll sit down in, like, my DAW and put stuff in. So I, I guess it does operate pretty similarly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's like such a good question. And that concept of being able to to play the tune through a whole take, like to crystallize it in your mind, is extremely similar to writing, like having the initial thrust and also crystallization of a game idea. Right, like having the playable text versus a bunch of sentence fragments, right? You you need yep. to, there, each step is development in its own way. Even just if you have a, a phrase in your notes app, and you want to turn it into a complete sentence and you get very picky and choosy with the words that you use because you're trying to encapsulate a feeling or a process or a very deliberate um, act for the player um, feels very similar to that kind of refinement and development. And Will, you've mentioned in the past too, like you have the marble slab and you're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to make this, this statue, right? Like each step sort of gets finer and finer until you have this end product. And I think too, with games and with music, it's really difficult to find a point at which you say, this is complete, or this is ready for consumption. Um, do you, uh, I, I know you put out games pretty frequently, especially with game jams and your Patreon page. Um, do you find that phase of your design process to say this is done and this is ready for people to be something that comes easy to you or do you sort of battle with it and say maybe I could tinker with this a little bit more 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a killer question. <laughs> I hate saying something is done a lot. It's hard. It's so hard. Um, I've gone back and made tons of, you know, little, just little changes, like, over and over, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like, Alone Among the Stars isn't even really done yet, even though I, I will probably not touch that, really, design-wise, because I've I've been meaning to re-record the, like, audio recording of the rules that I did. Um, there were some things I wanted to fix, and I still haven't gotten around to that, so it's not done. It's not done. <laughs> um, I've been trying to be better about that, because sometimes I do just, I need to let it go, and then if I want to, like, come back to this, I can... Like, I can write another game. I can write the next step, you know? I've been... Um, I talked about this on Twitter a little bit um, a couple days ago where I was like, yeah, I want to make a together game based off of, like, the Alone games, but right. it's about, like, two people. And then that's mm-hmm. actually, like... Oh, this this fit, this fits in with the, with the game because it's, like, sort of... I was describing it like Pokemon Evolutions. <laughs> hey! Where it's, like, a, the Alone games are the first step and they're just, like, you know, these three, four-page things about journaling um solo rpgs and the together games are like meant to be duet games where you're like bouncing ideas off each other and reflecting together um and then my the third stage is like a actual group world building game um that's like complete and can i don't know maybe be played as a campaign it's like it's i want that to be like the final evolutionary stage in this design process um, I've talked about um, a game called How to Build a Place You Love um, off and on on Twitter for a while. And I like that's that's the title. And then I have weird ideas, but I haven't like managed to write <laughs> any of it down yet because it's so hard to get at. Um, and I realized recently that like to get to that point, I would have to go through this middle stage. I like that um, looking at design as iterative and understanding that your ideas are alive, but can be like solid at the same time. Pokemon's like a great metaphor because <laughs> the first like making Charmander is the hardest part and then you just are able to meditate on an idea and use that and you've already came up with the palette that you use and so you're just developing. Um yeah, that's beautiful. That's great. <laughs> To the brain trust uh we wanted to talk about the well one of the main things i was excited to talk to you about was the jumbled up jam um the game jam that you helped host on itch um last month about games that didn't use dice and cards as their randomizers um so everyone had was forced to make a more i was going to say abstract but it's not always sometimes a more unique or more um, unconventional with, with method, yeah, um, which was really neat and inspiring, and a lot of really cool things came up from that. But then, while we were chatting during the break, we also just talked about jams on the whole. So let's start there. And uh, jumbled up was not your first jam hosting, correct? You were uh, one of the leaders of Sad Mech jam the the jam that changed jams 
the legendary yeah yeah the first I get, jam. yeah <laughs> i co-hosted that with um john john harness um and that was the first time i had like done that really um i've been a part of them before like as early as like april last year i think was the first time i like was a part of that kind of culture as it was going on and then i actually finished a game for the first time in june of last year um for a jam but yeah it's i've been doing jams and like hosting them for a little bit now yeah do you find that the games that you make for a jam you approach in any different way than the games that you make on your other time um i think for me i try to have a little more structure um just because of the nature of how much time you have um and for sad mech jam we actually had (laughs) because originally we were like oh we're just gonna get like 20 30 entries because that's how jams are right now so we could make like a zine during the summer maybe when we have a little more time and then we could like and for that purpose we wanted the games to be relatively short we wanted them to be like four pages or less so that helped as well (laughs) and i really just like laid out my games for for sad mac jam in a way that i hadn't really before i i think um, and I mean, this was coming off of the alone games too, where I had realized that I had like a framework that I could use to make different versions of this game. So I was really trying out the whole layout, um, sort of set the foundation first type of approach. It gives you the opportunity to refine a part in your process that you might otherwise, uh, not have the space to and a jam's like a beautiful low stakes environment. Um, by the way, the work that you and John did with the Sad Mech Jam like quadrupled the amount of game living game designers, which was amazing. <laughs> Just like the amount of folks whose first games were a part of Sad Mech Jam is beautiful, and like some of the most important public RPG work I've ever seen. So, oh my God, <laughs> that yeah, that that is uh, beautiful. Like it's yeah, something it's that really I. Mean. It made me, uh, so I mentioned it was the jam that changed jams because I think there was a, like a two month span after that where one, every designer uh, sort of thought, here's a thing that is important to me that I want to make a jam for and hope that it resonates with people as well. And then two, there was so many jams happening concurrently that you either we're making a game that was a hybrid of a couple of them so that you could submit to multiple <laughs> feeds or you just couldn't keep up and you just, I, I had like a very quick, I love what's happening here and I'm already burnt out. I can't make any more games. Um, yeah. Because a month before sad mech was the record collection jam and I'm also a musician. So that was very like, I already make games that are inspired by records. So I might as well do that. Um, and then the sad mech jam i didn't get anything in for but was just like captivated by the output and like i mentioned just reading reading so much stuff and finding all these unique ideas especially among like will said the first time designers who had this very fresh perspective that was coming through and then what happened 
I mentioned my jam that didn't work. I threw dog jam in April, and it was just, I like dogs, my dog needs surgery, let's make games about dogs. And I think I got maybe five submissions, including one of my own, and was like, oh, I'm seeing immediately the fatigue in the scene, and also it's not as simple as just saying, this jam is live, let's do it. There, There's... Uh, make games in this direction a better process that exists that I was not implementing um, so what sort of um, steps do you take in setup and also what I guess advice would you give to someone who wants to throw a jam having thrown multiple successful jams yourself yeah um, I think the f- Okay, there. I I didn't exactly take my own advice all the time here, but um, <laughs> looking at of hot course. horror jam actually that um, yeah uh, a bunch of people are co-hosting right now, but it was um, Swords and Flowers. It was Ben's idea to make it a jam um, because there was Twitter buzz. That is kind of where mm-hmm. we've started a lot. Like Sad yeah. Mech Jam was the same thing. John had a tweet blow up, and then he was like, "Oh, I could do this," and I was like, "Oh yeah, I have a game idea that like would fit in with this." And he was like, oh, you want to co-host? And I know enough people who are into mechs and sadness and emotions, <laughs> apparently. Um, and it's like, yeah, if I, I do try to think about like how much interest I've already gotten on this idea before I like launch the jam. Um, I was like, yeah, hot horror is definitely going to just like get tons and tons of submissions because it's just... Right there are a lot of people in the TTRPG community who would be into that. I'm just going to say that. Ah. I don't have to say anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the weird thing is like Jumbled Up Jam was the, is the exception. Cause like, it's just like a little weird and out there. Um, I still got like 20 something submissions, which is what I was expecting. And I, that's kind of what I wanted is I wanted a small number of weird games that I could read for my pleasure. <laughs> it was a little self-indulgent. Um, mostly because um, those kinds of small weird games is how I learned to design by reading those kinds of things, um, like weird indie mixtape stuff from like yeah. the early 2010s and like Avery Alder's early work um, mm-hmm. and stuff that's just been like really early itch stuff from years ago. Um, those kinds of games really influenced me and I wanted a jam that would kind of like Game Chef is what I was thinking. Because, you know, Game Chef gives you those components and tells you to go make something with them. Um, I wanted something like that, but weirder and a little less structured and, like, not about the judging, yeah. about, like, making weird stuff with other people who want to, like, push that forward. I love that um, point about using game jams and, like, larger, like, the tabletop events at large to refine your process and to just learn more. Because I definitely dig through 200 word RPG submissions. Oh, yeah. And like still talk about them because you just get it's it's this thing I think we talked a couple episodes ago, but just exposing yourself to other people's work and their like raw ideas just to provide a shock to your system and to inspire processes that you wouldn't even know to take. I think uh, 200 word really got me out of my fantasy heartbreaker phase 
where I made so important. I made thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> I made a couple of 200 word RPGs on a flight in my notes app where I was just like bored and couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere, um, but sort of had the spark. And next thing I knew, I had a couple of games by the time the plane landed. Um, that the one of which became Peril, which was my first postcard game that I released through Patreon. And I'm still doing that series now over a year later where I'm trying to constrain a game to a physical standard. Uh, and having that constraint is really interesting. And I find that a successful jam will give you enough restraint that you can hone your focus, but without so many rules that it feels like you're trying to fit a, a square peg through a round hole. Um, I think you do a great job of giving just enough to let inspiration spark and then letting people do their thing. And that's what that environment drives on and really should be. Yeah, that's like exactly how I describe how I'm designing my games for people to play them as well. I've talked about is like kind of it's it's a little bit sandbox where it's, you know, you give players the tools to get started. You give them a little push and then you just kind of let them go. I do that with with my published stuff too, where I've I can't expect that any of my games are going to someone who uh, isn't willing to play it. I guess that's the nice way to say it. Like, right. if, if you get one of my weird artsy game zines, like you kind of know what you're getting into from the start. <laughs> so I don't need to tell you how to translate your Dungeons and Dragons group into this sort of thing or what what is an RPG I've stopped doing that because you know if you've found this yeah. I'm not your first RPG I'm <laughs> I'm deep underground here so uh I, I let them well, I trust them to do what they want to do with those parameters I actually sell a lot of games to people that have never played games before and like really out there wild because I uh, table at Boston Punk craft markets, Ooh. and so like people will just see a cool zine cover and they'll come over and it's like any one of my smaller zine games, like Two Hearts Beat is one, which is a game about taking your pulse and someone else's pulse at the same time, and because the like you can trust also non gamers to understand the like conceptual framework because it's a conversation i don't know yeah that and uh the the people who go to that are still not like hyper norms you, you know like they're artsy people and they're alternative people and i mean i could be wrong but i'm 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 painting with a broad stroke here that yeah. kind of person who would attend the punk zine fest is on board with your version of storytelling you know i think it's it's a larger point of i I love playing with new players. Like my my game group is mostly new people um that I have experimented on. <laughs> um but also just uh like with it's it's really close to what we we're talking about before which is trusting that people can handle it. Like yeah. yeah. Yep. And that is really scary. Um like I've got a lot of experience like sitting on a mechanic and be like can I even trust myself to communicate this like but understanding that like if i do a good job i can also trust other i don't know trust the brain trust <laughs> it comes um, around yeah yeah that the trust is a lot especially when you're trying to make shorter games like that's mm -hmm. a huge 
that's a huge thing. Yeah, you have to leave some stuff cut because you just don't have the space for it. You can't tell everyone every rule and just hope that they kind of get your vibe well enough that they make they fill in the blanks. experience um in your own design practice and in witnessing others what would you say the breakdown and the differences between having a component like dice or cards you're saying i want to make a card game and then so you make a game around cards or you start with an idea and then find the right component i can think of a couple examples of your um of your work like chess that I honestly could see going either way. So, yeah, what is your what is your experience with that components and design question? The first time that this like happened, uh, I like hadn't even really thought about like it being weird. Where it was like conscious and cameras, and it was like an an improv game. Really, mm-hmm. uh, there's that one where you reach like under your chair and you like improv picking up an object and like discovering what it is and having that reaction to it um and that made me think about like oh yeah you could just go on a beach and play this you could use the rules to tell a story about some random thing you find on the beach um and i really thought about like yeah how do objects help you tell stories just by their physicality um and by what we already associate with those things um John actually brought up that Alone Among the Stars actually has a pretty interesting artifact in the journal that you write in. Um, Because I specifically say to have a physical thing um, and like, oh, you could burn this at the end if you're like, if it makes you sad and shit, you know? Um, And like destroying the notebook at the end of the beast, Mm -hmm. like how that's a big part of it. Yeah, exactly. and like even flipping over the cards as a way of like, oh, this represents discovery. This feels right. Cause I, it was like, oh, maybe it's just pulling cards at first, but then, oh wait, putting three down. And that's like, oh, that's your plan. And then flipping them up as you go felt more right. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like, it, it comes at different parts of the process. Chess definitely started with chess first. And then I was like, okay, but wait, Oh, what if the pieces were like these different parts of the population? So the game came mm-hmm. first. Um, the game of chess came first, and then the rules, <laughs> <laughs> the rules of like the story game came after. Um, same thing with Red Strings of Fate. Actually, is another one um, where you know you're. I was like, oh, that that's like a common trope, and it's really cute and cool. Like, what can I do with that? You. You know, you tie a string to your hand and then your partner's hand and then you, what can you play there that's like interesting? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think Jumbled Up was definitely set up to be the component first type thing. But the thing is, because I left it so open-ended, I was like, yeah, I mean, if you have an idea that has nothing to do with any of this, but is still using stuff like, yeah, just go for it. Um, I actually do remember talking to some people about this where it's like 
uh, Slay the Sacred Beast was inspired by a Tally Hall song um, Mm. and uses Nerf guns. Like, it's like it's like a LARP really um, about, you know, slaying a sacred beast using Nerf guns and like piecing it together, which is, uh, you know, uh, solving a mystery using a jigsaw puzzle uh, as your component. And there's a lot of tea in this jam looking at it right now. There are (laughs) one, two, three, four, five. I was going to say, I noticed uh, using a kettle or using boiling water as a system of measuring time was something that I caught in more than one jumbled up game that I thought was really neat. Uh, But then, of course, you have a game, and and I think it's great for jam games and especially like super thinky or thoughtful or feelings focused games um, to have you, you have a time constraint on it that you know it takes only a couple minutes for water to boil right so your game is going to last for this little time frame like five to eight minutes i guess um which i I think is neat for especially the scope of the games that people were making and something i would have never thought of but is a really unique and immersive gaming aspect um i think it gets harder when you get into games that are that have a wider scope or are meant to be played for longer to have these, um, what did you call them? Relics, aspects? Artifacts of play? Artifacts. Artifacts. Uh, um, to have artifacts of play that sort of take longer than a second or two seconds to do, because then it's going to pull you from the narrative of the story or the campaign that you're playing and become a moment about interacting with the artifact, which is neat. And I like, um, but I wonder too, for a longer game, how you can retain both the game focus and having this like neat physical interaction with the game, um, either like on a meta level or yeah, yeah, uh, where it ties in. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's such a difficult thing to do. Um, yeah, (laughs) I think the the games that use brick towers like dread and starcrossed and my game rose quartz that uh having having that tension of pulling a brick maintains a feeling that you're experiencing in the game but the game can still last an hour or longer um mm-hmm. that's a really unique and special uh combination of the artifacts of play and a longer game to play and i think that's a really hard thing to accomplish i've got a ton of ideas here but you are glossing over that this is the motherfucking jam about tea games um, which could be a sub jam inside i think that's really strong uh but looking at i was sitting on that for about 10 minutes and it was very hard not to interrupt um <laughs> But for, yeah, longer session games, developing artifacts of play, um, you can look at more traditional components like character sheets or maps. Um, I was going to as... say maps I really love. And I know I've made at least one map-making game, and I really like... We were talking about, um, was it Wind Marches uh, as a play style of... Oh, the West West Marches. marches. I'm a new... Yeah. I like wind marches. Wind marches sounds like a Looking, cool thing. Yeah, someone should do something with air, that. Air? Wait, let's make wind marches now. Yeah, write that down. Uh, it skyjacks, but... <laughs> um, 
but yeah, that sort of having a a thing at the end, which is I think different than using it as your randomizer or your skill test or whatever. Having um like a memory that you can have that's tangible is a really unique game thing that I love. Even someone in the Discord was playing After the Party, which is my map making game, and like showed the map in the channel. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I like don't know what your story's about at all, but like yeah. this is such a neat thing. I don't know thing. what the fuck this is with the <laughs> rules. And, and it's so um, immediately evocative, especially for the people who are playing it. Because I remember, you know, I mentioned Fiasco is kind of like my gold standard story game because every time I finish it, it's like the most memorable story. But what if I had a movie poster at the end for the story that we told? Mm. Like, how bonkers that would be. I would have this whole yeah. office wall-to-wall with these, like, <laughs> relics that we made. And just just for, not even, I wouldn't call it nostalgia, but, like, it just feels good to think about and remember the feelings and the people that you were with and the experience that you shared. Like, that having a a relic at the end of the game is a really neat thing that I enjoy. I think people will make those relics too if they're not present. Like I have hung up character sheets on walls. That like that's not what they're for. Sure. But yeah. Um and like even abstract, um, as you were mentioning before, how a deep understanding of a game system can be a relic of play. Um, so looking at I imagine that for some gamers looking at like a Pathfinder 2 character sheet and understanding what it means is like a beautiful relic of play and like not having to pull up a spell book, like um, mastery as also a secondary, but equally important, you know, less feelings driven uh, artifact. Um, that's neat. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. I think I also, I, I talk a lot about like how feelings are like the thing you take away from a gaming experience but I think you're making a, a, a really important point, too, that that's, one, not universal, two, not even always true for me, who's someone who values that thing, but when I play a more mechanical game, even a Dungeons & Dragons, um, like I also have a character sheet from a character I played for three years who died, yeah. and then like we tore it in half as a ritual, <gasps> and I have both halves, and I was like, I'm going to keep this, this is an important thing. Um, and that's like not from a feelings focused game that's from a game where we killed giants you know like but it was still an important thing to me to have this yeah yeah you still drew your character on your sheet right <laughs> like i think we'll find ways to make shared experiences with people memorable regardless of the circumstance yeah that might be like just an innate feature of role playing games huh if you're if you're making a game that might not have if you want players to express themselves privately during the game even having a space to draw on a sheet is like some 1974 technology that still works and is like beautiful yeah i i always try to put if i make a game that needs a character sheet i'll usually leave a space for people to like illustrate that person or with protest singer i would, i like left a space so you could draw your band's logo because I'm picturing, like, being in oh, middle school and yeah, scratching yeah. Metallica into your notebook or whatever, you know? I wanted to evoke that feeling. Mm -hmm.
Takuma, do you have any uh, like favorite thing, things that you come back to to use as physical aspects of your game? Um, God, I love... Okay, so the, the tea thing, I should say, like, my first game, at the end of it, like, Conscious Encounters at the end of it, I'm like, okay, like, you're you're done with the beach, the sun is, like, risen, go home and, like, have a hot drink. Like, literally from the yes. first time, I was like, yeah, you should do this and, like, have this kind of, like, wind down after. And I've, I put that in the, like, iteration on Conscious that was that alone game um, as well, because that, I don't know, I feel like why that tea motif like is so strong is just because like everyone associates that with like coming down and like you know sitting um at a table in the morning and like looking outside and you hear birds or whatever like it's just it evokes that really strongly to me so i do like that a lot um and i like seeing games that do stuff with that um the other thing that i find i come back to a lot is just like anything to do with paper yeah um i've mm -hmm written a game about like where yeah you rip up the paper at the end because like you're drawing a reactor um of the space station that your mech squad is is stationed in and then you fill up the reactor and it explodes and your squad is like scattered and you rip up the paper um and then you write like pilots names on different on like each of the scraps and like talk about what happened to them um i iterated on that for like a uh, an scp like uh supernatural uh phenomenon investigating organization rpg where like cool you have the containment facility now and you're filling it up as you're playing uh, and when it's full everything goes south and like everything gets real fucked up and like each of you is one of the directors of different branches so you're ripping up the paper at the end and then doing things to each of those slips of paper like you might be flushing it down the toilet or burning it or crumpling it up <laughs> throwing it in the trash or maybe you just leave it on the table because you're fine um yeah and like i love like how you can represent stuff with paper in that way a lot there's um one of the sad mech games uh effigy where you make a paper doll that is your mech and like you do stuff to it you rip parts off you crumple it up and uncrumple it as you're playing and like that to me is a really cool artifact even though it's it's gonna look real bad when you're done with it um <laughs> but i feel like that is a really easy way to represent um <clears throat> like paper is just like so versatile and you can represent so many things with it and it's something everyone has um which i think is really important for physical components um is that it's mm -hmm. something that's easy to find um over the course of this call, now that we've said like physical components a bunch of times, I've like, I keep having ideas for the the fucking lantern game. It's it keeps happening. Oh, hit us! Um, it's just like I mean, from like having different character sheets where you have like a big open space in the middle to draw your thing, and like there's different types of lanterns at the bottom, and you pick like a lantern based on your playbook. Yes. Um, so that like helps with the drawing or of your thing, or like. The fucking out there shit is like I have a big tub of bionicle parts in the basement. So yes. you're building your fucking <laughs> lantern creature out of bionicle during the session or like Legos or something like that. Um or like fucking this is not carving. Translate. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, what there was a, a mark about soap carving that I had written down in my notes app forever ago to research and I never did. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It was like someone's soap guide to soap carving. Oh, that sounds rad. No, I. I'm gonna have to dig. Yeah. It's not. Uh, that was not a useful recommendation. I don't have <laughs> enough information. But uh, I just drew, and this is not going to work really well, but this little like paper craft box. Yeah, and I had the idea yes. that this is the lantern, and mm -hmm. inside of it, you have, you, you like craft it. You would draw on each side or something. Oh, that's uh, rad. Inside, you either have like slips of paper that you made or dice or whatever. So that way there's one, the physical thing, and you can move it and maybe even roll it because it's, a four-sided or six-sided shape and then also like opening it and having to extract something from it Hell i'm getting ahead of myself i just had like the spark and you know when it happens no yeah chase it. <laughs> um i i looked into making a, a paper lantern that you could put a like votive candle or something in so you're physically making silhouettes at the table um which would be really cool yeah my head's also at the same place of having different lanterns communicate um, the different roles that people played in the French Revolution. So you have like, oh, uh, you know what? That's so good. <laughs> I feel like we can't find it. We're here. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So having um, a lantern represent. Uh, so, so say you have like the four classes, which are basically like if this is a demon drawing game, and that we were talking about sort of establishing a pentagram in demonology. As to filling a Pokedex and Pokemon at the table. Um, so having like a pentagram is a complicated connected system. And you're basically, I know there's a polywag and I know there's two other things. <laughs> I don't know what they are, but I know that they're there. So I have to try and find out how to get them. Um, there's three other and things, having, right? Like, <laughs> oh man, they did make another they one. Did. Oh. And Wait, like the other what's, thing, what's I think the name? first idea I actually had was like, making sort of like paper snowflakes and then using your like phone flashlight to just like use that as a silhouette. Ooh, phone flashlights is that's, great. Yeah. That's so good. As just like a thing everyone has. A thing that everyone has and I didn't consider it. And also not a fire risk <laughs> of putting <laughs> putting a votive inside of a piece of paper that you made like <laughs> will definitely set on fire. Well, that yeah. can be well, a thing Steve too. Steven Dewey will come for me if I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, like he lives in the state. That's there's some really cool stuff there that I and you know we talked during the break about like we're not sure what we're going where we're going with this and now I have like six things written down and <laughs> like I think that's a cool thing about any creative thing too but specifically what we're doing here is it just happens sometimes <laughs> you just catch lightning in a bottle and you're like damn now I got all these ideas I'm so juiced I'm ready to use them in some form and uh having the collaborative aspect too of what we just like how we all just three fed off one another and developed these sparks into more than sparks yeah it's always really cool it's you love to see it Welcome back to the Brain Trust. Uh, so we have been thinking long and hard about artifacts and what are the artifacts of play. Um, what are the things that we take 
outside of the game that exist when we are out of character and we want to figure out what the brain trust thinks our artifacts of play should be we've got a bunch of options here for exactly we're going to go to the google polls route because we love the amount of engagement and how it spit out a very beautiful pie chart at the end. That, that was a, a feature that I wasn't expecting, and I did appreciate the visualization love that. of voter spread. Really helped me understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that Adam is disappointed not being able to write on a hotel notepad. I did. Um, but... I am right now. <laughs> oh, you did. You are. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> okay, so here are the options for... Um, wh which artifact of play is most important to you? So the options in this week's poll for Artifact of Play are, one, something common, such as items you would find in your house, things that you could find at the dollar store, uh, things from other games, or just sort of things that you might already have access to that you can use in a unique way in our game. Uh, two would be something drawn on, such as character sheets, maps, anything where you're sort of... Um, Encouraged to illustrate, be creative, doodle, maybe even uh, drawing the creatures that you're summoning and creating, um, an, an illustrative aspect. So two, something drawn up. Three would be something crafted. I'm thinking something potentially in 3D, like paper craft, or you make a model, or you interact in some way with um, a physical object that you make that doesn't just exist as a 2D piece of paper. And the last thing... A, a bunch of bionicle parts. <laughs> uh, four would be something digital. Uh, this would be integration with uh, some sort of app or audio recording, maybe an aspect to play with digitally, as in over Google Hangouts, or I guess that's not a thing anymore. O over uh, Roll20 or Skype or however you play digitally. Um, a special integration of our game that requires access to an electronic device. Yeah, or something like uh, an IRC chat room called Hell, that if you win, you get to go there and and put your demons out there or something. So Wow, we should just do that anyway. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> um, and, and all of these are sort of left open-ended because once we pick a category, we can refine what exactly it is and how it relates to gameplay. But we want to sort of decide with everyone's help which one would be the most neat thing to focus on. Um, so those options, again, without giving their micro summaries, are one, My something common, two, something drawn on, three, something crafted, and four, something digital. Awesome. Takuma, thank you so much for hanging out. You are so fucking rad. Yeah, it was just, this was great. I was really looking forward to it. I had to, I didn't know like how secret we were being. So yesterday I was just like, I get to talk to a game designer I'm excited to talk to. And yeah. uh, now by the time that this is listenable, everyone will know it's you. Um, but I was very happy to get to interact in pseudo reality via <laughs> Skype uh, today. Yeah, no, this was really rad. I had a lot of fun. Um, I hope I get to work with y'all on some stuff in the future. I don't know when that'll be because I'm so busy all the time yeah. right now. But <laughs> one more year of school left and then <laughs> I'm free. So You got it. Thank you. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. And any literally any time. <laughs> any time. Uh, where can people I'll make I'll make all kinds of wild beyond bionicle games oh with my you. God. Wait, what do you Hell know about yeah. bionicle lore? Like bionicle lore is it's ridiculous. so much. It's so much. Yeah. God is in a mask and then Every... has a giant enormous mountain sized robot body. It's so much. I feel so yes. old. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Um, some of us on this call have not played the Bionicle Game Boy Advance game, and it shows. <laughs> Where can people find um, your work, your music, you online? Yeah, uh, my Twitter is at Takuma underscore Okada underscore, where I will... I'm a little off of it right now because of some stuff that's happened, um, but I will be there mm -hmm. pretty regularly. Um, I have an itch page where you can find all of my games and some of my music, uh, some of the instrumental stuff, uh, at noroadhome.itch.io. And uh, I have a SoundCloud where there's more music, which is soundcloud.com slash home. I'm like working on an EP right now, actually. So hopefully oh, awesome. <laughs> that will be out somewhere in that time. And uh, I also have a Patreon where you can support me monthly, um, where I post like music drafts and game drafts and things. And that's also uh, patreon.com slash home. Get on that, everybody. <laughs> Help me make games. <laughs> please well it's a pleasure and i'm not just happy to have gotten to speak with you but also you actually you really helped us kind of we, we weren't really sure what we were going with this week and you definitely helped us get there so <laughs> i'm so glad uh, <laughs> i absolutely appreciate that so uh in summary my name is adam and I am of. <laughs> that was not good, huh? <laughs> if I was doing it in earnest and you all both started all. laughing. <laughs> so. That was just extremely thesis last paragraph. <laughs> in summation. <laughs> uh, so for the. Um, I'm. I <laughs> Uh, I'm Will. Uh, you can hang out um, on our Discord. We have a Discord. Um, I post um, a bunch of shit. I found out that the guy whose work I've been looking for this whole time actually died recently, and it was really sad. So get that real live moment online. Yeah, at, it was. Uh, uh, I was going to contact this person, and then the next thing in the Discord is his eulogy or his obituary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, and um, I was busy and I was catching glimpses and I was like, oh shit, like didn't see this story ending this way. But... Will Will is handling some stuff right now. <laughs> uh, it was a lot. Uh but yeah, we've got a Discord. Um of course, let everyone you can know about the brain trust. Uh we want you know more people's voices heard. We want that sweet money to make this game. Um <laughs> like you know. We are focusing on weekly relaunches, so Tuesday to Thursday, if y'all can help us out, that is extremely appreciated. Um, but yeah, I'm on Twitter, Will underscore Yobst. Uh, that's it. That's me. <laughs> and I am on Twitter at WC Game Co. Uh, and my name is Adam. <laughs> <laughs> We, we've done this now for three or four weeks and do not have a refined sign-off process at all. But we get there. Oh, we get there. At the end, at the end I say... Um, the wrong emoji. Green every week. emoji. <laughs> I, I was going to say it right and you fucking cut me off.
brain emoji, handshake emoji, brain trust forever. <laughs> Do you have something to say, Adam? You said each week you were going to come with an interesting, uh, horrible idiom <laughs> that you made up. Uh, if you can't trust your brain, who can you trust? <laughs> that one was just off the top. <laughs>